If you have your Bibles, if you go ahead and open them up to the book of Ecclesiastes, today we start a new series called Explore God, and we are joining with churches all throughout the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex to seek some biblical answers to questions that people often have about God. You'll notice around town there are yard signs, there's banners, there's billboards that say Explore God and direct them to a website. You can go to that website, explore.god.com. You can ask questions and find answers to things about the Lord. And so uh, uh, it's really an exciting time over these next few weeks as people gather throughout the churches in the Metroplex to explore these questions that people have about God. And today we're going to be dealing with one of the questions that people often have about God. Basically, does life have a purpose? One of the most frustrating things in life is to waste your time. With the communications explosion that we have today, uh, people tend to communicate a little bit differently. If you call a face-to-face meeting that could have been handled in email, people will get upset with you because they're like, I fought Dallas traffic to come and sit down face-to-face and you could have just told me all this in an email. If you uh, send out an email and instead of just getting to the point and giving the details of what you want people to know, if you have a lot of paragraphs and a lot of fluff in that email, they will delete your email instead of reading it because they don't want you to waste their time. Uh, If you're technologically savvy and you receive text messages, if you get put on a group text and somebody sends out a, a text to eight people and you receive that and it's got some good information there, but then eight people respond with, K, thanks, sounds good, thumbs up, it'll frustrate you because you feel like it's wasting your time. We want things to have meaning. We want things to have purpose. And whenever we can't find something's meaning or something's purpose, it causes us to feel frustrated and sometimes even angry. Does life have a purpose? If you can't answer that question well, then chances are that you're pretty frustrated. You might even be angry. Now, most of us don't spend a lot of time thinking about our purpose. It's a question that somewhere within us we ask. I mean, we saw that whenever Rick Warren wrote his book, The Purpose Driven Life, and I believe that's up to about 100 million copies have been purchased because people have that basic desire to know their purpose. But in life, we're just too busy trying to make sure that all the kids get dressed, trying to make sure that schoolwork is done, that work is done, that you keep your job and that you attend that face-to-face meeting that your kid's soccer coach scheduled that could have been handled by email and you're trying to do all these different things in order just to keep up with life. But then there are these moments, these moments whenever you sit in front of the casket, whenever you begin that new career, whenever you reach that point of retirement, whenever you welcome that new child or grandchild into the world and you sit there and you hold that little baby in your arms and you think to yourself, what is my purpose? What is the purpose for life? Solomon was the kind of guy you admired and yet he was also the kind of guy that could make you sick a little bit at the same time. Uh, He was rich. He was powerful. He was good-looking, he was wise, he could write poetry, he could fix chariots, 
He could throw a spear a hundred yards. Whatever you think you're good at, he's better. If you think you're smart, he's smarter. I mean, he was one of those guys that you looked at and you're like, man, I wish I could be like Solomon. At the same time, he was just so good at so many things. He's like, ugh. It frustrates me sometimes. But in Ecclesiastes, there's a, there's a fascinating account of Solomon's search for life's purpose. And this all-everything man who could do so much goes through a lengthy search to try to find the answer to that question, what is the purpose for life? Now, for most of the book, Solomon doesn't mention God. Instead, he searches everything under the sun, trying to find the meaning of life. And he begins with learning. Perhaps the meaning of life is in learning. And so he says in Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and verse 12, I, the teacher, have been king over Israel in Jerusalem. I applied my mind to seek and to explore through wisdom all that is done under heaven. And God has given people this miserable task to keep them occupied. You see, if Solomon were alive today, he would be a Ph.D. No doubt, he would have studied south of the Red River at the finest universities the world has to offer, right here in the state of Texas. He would have studied at great institutions like Texas A&M University. There's not even a whoop in the crowd. He would have studied at the University of Texas in Austin, the University of Texas in Dallas, UT San Antonio. I'm sure he would have studied at Texas Tech. He would have studied at Baylor, but he wouldn't have been able to get in because he had too many wives, and so he would not have made the entrance requirements. He would have great education. I'm sure that if he had a blog, that whenever Solomon would share his insights for life, that each post would receive thousands of shares and millions of likes. He was a wise man. He was a well-educated man, and he had studied deeply. Some of the greatest quotes of wisdom come from Solomon. Things like, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct your paths. Above all else, guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it. That's the wisdom of Solomon. You may have heard the statement, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Those are words from Solomon. Read the book of Proverbs sometimes. If you've never read the book of Proverbs, read that book sometimes. You will be blown away with the wisdom of this man Solomon. He was a deep thinker, and he had studied all that there was at that time to study. And his conclusion was that God has given people this miserable task to keep them occupied. He really wasn't too big on school, I guess, whenever it was all said and done. So he decides, okay, I will pursue the meaning of life in pleasure and love. And in chapter 2, he says to himself, go ahead, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy what is good, but it turned out to be futile. I said about laughter, it is madness, and about pleasure, what does this accomplish? 
I explored with my mind how to let my body enjoy life with wine and how to grasp folly. My mind still guiding me with wisdom until I could see what it is good for people to do under heaven during the very few de- during the few days of their life. Solomon became a major party animal. Solomon drank his fill. Solomon pushed away from the teachings of his father David and the values with which he was raised and he went wild. This guy had more women than Justin Bieber. He had more parties than a Kardashian. Anything he wanted, he just took. And he surrounded himself with pleasure and he drank from it. And yet he still did not find the purpose of life there. So then he began pursuing the purpose of life through success. In verse 4 of chapter 2, Solomon says, I increased my achievements. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made gardens and parks for myself and planted every kind of fruit tree in them. I constructed reservoirs of water for myself from which to irrigate a grove of flourishing trees. I acquired male and female servants and had slaves who were born in my house. I also owned many herds of cattle and flocks, more than all who were before me in Jerusalem. I also amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I gathered male and female singers for myself and many concubines, the delights of men. And so I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. My wisdom also remained with me. He achieved all that there was to achieve in life. He is perhaps Israel's most successful king. Solomon's reign as king of Israel was marked by peace. His father was always at war. Solomon's time was a time of peace. He was known as a tremendous diplomat. He built one of the greatest buildings the world has ever seen, the great temple of Solomon. It was one of the wonders of the world. And he greatly advanced the world's knowledge of farming. And if you think about the ancient time, in which he lived, Uh, farming knowledge was a key to any successful economy. People were agrarian in nature. And so these gardens that he refers to were actually massive orchards and gardens where Solomon studied the best way to grow food. And he also was very advanced in agriculture uh, and and with, with meat products and things like that. He was extremely, extremely, Successful, wealthy man, and yet he still did not find his answer. And so he began being philanthropic and uh, seeking to find meaning through compassion towards others. And so he says in chapter 4 and verse 1, Again, I observed all the acts of oppression being done under the sun. Look at the tears of those who are oppressed They have no one to comfort them. Power is with those who oppress them, and they have no one to comfort them. And Solomon Solomon began trying to comfort those who are oppressed and tried to use his wealth, his wisdom, his fame to try to reach out to some that were fatherless and did not have uh, the joys of life that, that so many seek. And after all these pursuits, a lifetime of efforts... What did Solomon 
conclude? Well, in chapter 1 and verse 2, he says, absolute futility. Absolute futility. And if you didn't hear that part, he said everything is futile. That was his conclusion. Life's just futile. Everything. In chapter 2, in verse 10, he said, All that my eyes desired, I did not deny them. I did not refuse myself any pleasure, for I took pleasure in all my struggles. This was my reward for all my struggles. And when I considered all that I had accomplished and what I had labored to achieve, I found everything to be futile in a pursuit of the wind. There was nothing to be gained under the sun. Chapter 2, verse 17. Some of the saddest words in Scripture. Therefore, I hated life. Here's this man who has everything. Smart, good-looking, wealthy, successful. And he says, I looked at my life and I hated it. Because the work that was done under the sun was distressing to me. For everything is futile and a pursuit of the wind. I hated all my work that I labored at under the sun because I must leave it to the man who comes after me. I can't take any of this with me. It's a waste of time, says Solomon. Then you get to chapter 4 and verse 2. And again, you see the depth of sadness. He says, so I admired the dead who have already died more than the living who are still alive. And then check out verse 3. But better than either of them is the one who has not yet existed, who has not seen the evil activity that is done under the sun. That's the conclusion to his earthly pursuits of everything. It's futile. I hate life. I wish that I had never even been born. Now, ironically, many of the great thinkers of our times agree with Solomon. You see, I think one of the reasons why we try to keep ourselves so busy is because if we slow down enough, then maybe we actually have to deal with some of these questions like, what is the purpose to all this? And some of the great thinkers of our time who have thought through these issues have reached conclusions very much like Solomon. Ernest Hemingway wrote, uh, life is just a dirty trick, a short journey from nothingness to nothingness. Samuel Beckett wrote, they give birth astride of a grave. The light gleams an instant and then it's night once more. Henry David Thoreau wrote, the mass of men lives lives of quiet desperation. Now, is it just me? Or is this kind of depressing? Am I the only one here that finds this just a a little bit depressing? Well, our question today is, does life have purpose? And the good news is that the Bible teaches us that life does have a purpose and that it is not meaningless, that we don't just live our lives for the grave. And so let me share with you a few reasons why life has purpose. Your life has purpose because you were created for a purpose. 
A passage of scripture that you need to be familiar with if you're a believer is Psalm 139. Psalm 139 says in verse 14, I will praise you because I have been remarkably and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know this very well. Now, who's he praising? His mom? His dad? He's praising God. I will praise you because I have been remarkably and wonderfully made. My life, my body is a work of God. In verse 15, he writes, My bones were not hidden from you when I was made in secret, when I was formed in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw me when I was formless. All my days were written in your book and planned before a single one of them began. As Christians... We believe life must not be minimized. Do not minimize life to a mere act of nature or a personal choice. Life must be maximized as an act of God. God is the author of life. God creates us Male and female in his image. Life is a precious gift from God. And your life, no matter what the circumstances of your beginning, your life is not an accident. And the Heavenly Father has a divine reason for you being alive. There's not a person in this room that God does not love. And that's a theological statement. While we were yet sinners, Christ demonstrated His love in this way. When He died for us, there's not a person in this room that God does not have a divine plan for your life. There is not a person in this room that God does not desire to see you turn from your sins and turn to Him. And one of the most exciting journeys of life is discovering how God has specifically designed you to fulfill His specific plan for you. He doesn't reveal all that to you uh, whenever you're born. Uh, You know, you don't come out with an owner's manual. you got to live the days. And as you live the days, you begin discovering God has designed me in this way. God has brought spiritual gifts into my life. God has brought experiences and people into my life. And all this is being orchestrated by the divine sovereignty of God who loves me, who created me, who gave me this gift of life. And my life is a blessing from above. And the design which God gave me is a blessing from above. And I will not minimize that, discount that, run from that. I will embrace it. Because my life is a gift from the Heavenly Father. And because of that, your life has purpose and meaning. Your life also has purpose and meaning because Jesus died for you. Probably the most famous verse of Scripture in the Bible. For God so loved the world that He gave His what? Keep keep going. So So that whoever will not perish... What was the motivation that drove God to send His Son? His love for us. 
And what does His Son do? His Son dies for us so that whoever believes in Him does not perish but have everlasting life. In John 15 and verse 13, Jesus says, Greater love has no one than this, that He lay down His life for His friends. Jesus laid down His life because the Heavenly Father, because Jesus loves you. You may be here today and there's never been a time in your life where you've really understood that God loves you. Maybe as a little child growing up, you sang that song, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. But has there ever been a time that you really realized what that means? Because Jesus died for you. Because God loves you, you don't live a life of randomness. You don't live a purposeless life. And we also don't live life on this countdown. You look around our culture and you see the secularist trying to absorb every ounce of life that they can and militantly fighting against anyone that would try to restrict them from absorbing every hedonistic passion that they have. All the while, the more information and the more options that we seem to have in this world, the more miserable we are. Because people are living on this countdown, but because of God's great love for you, who He is and what He has done for you, you don't live life on the countdown clock. As a believer, you live life beyond time. We live life with eternity in mind. And whenever you understand your reality, the reality of eternity, it frees you to live today. And whenever you begin to understand that God loves you and values you so much that He sent His Son to die for you so that all who believe in Him might truly live, it radically frees you to live your life. Now, I have to ask you this question here, and that is, have you ever trusted personally in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? And I'm not asking you if you've gone to church or if your grandfather was a preacher or any of that kind of stuff. I'm asking, have you personally ever come to that point where you believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior? You say, well, I believe, I believe Jesus is the Son of God. I believe these things about Him. Yeah, I, I value the Bible, and I think it's a special book and all those things. And I, I'm, I'm here at church today, so you know, there's a lot of things that I believe about God. But have you ever believed in Christ? You see, Jesus didn't just call us to believe about Him. Jesus called us to believe in Him to place our faith, to place our trust, to place ourselves in Him. That's being a Savior. That's being our, his, our Lord and Savior. I like to use this simple illustration right here. You know, I can believe a lot of things about this stool. I believe that it's capable of holding me up. It's made, let's see, it's made in China, so you know it's quality. Um, And all material consisting of polyurethane foam, 100%, and under penalty of law. I can't remove this tag. But anyway, um, you know, I I believe I've seen it hold other people up. I've seen people give, we could stand up here and give testimony to it holding, holding people up. I mean, I have full confidence. I believe a lot of great things about this stool, but have I believed in the stool yet? No, I haven't believed in the stool until I actually sit on the stool. 
Now it's holding me up, okay? Now I'm placing my faith in the stool because if the stool doesn't hold me up, I'm falling, right? Well, that's the same thing that Jesus calls us to do, to believe in Him, to trust in Him as our Lord and Savior instead of trusting in ourselves as God. We place our faith, we place ourselves totally in Him, and we believe in Him, and we're motivated by the fact that He loves us and He died for us. And that because of that, our life has purpose and meaning and goes beyond the grave. C.S. Lewis said, aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you will get neither. Has there ever been that time where you've trusted in Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Well, there's a third reason why your life has purpose. And that is because you can use the days that you have here to bring glory to God. In Romans chapter 12, the Bible says, Therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, who was the dying sacrifice? Jesus. So what are we as believers in Jesus to present our bodies as? Living sacrifices. Holy and pleasing to God, this is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. A lot of us struggle to find purpose because we get the purpose of life turned around. I talked about this a couple weeks ago. I'll mention it again. God doesn't exist to bring you glory. You exist to bring God glory. And over and over again, I see this theological problem cause people issues because in their Christian thought, in their theology, they have this mindset that I'm the center of the world and that God exists around me. And so God exists to make my life pleasurable and easy. And so when something difficult happens, I reach the conclusion that God just must not work. And so I push away from God, I get frustrated, I get angry. Flip that motif and realize that God is the center of all things and your life exists for His glory. So no matter what you're going through, whether it's good or bad, easy or difficult, your life can bring glory to the Heavenly Father through the way in which you live your life. You bring Him glory in all things. You say, well, what about old Solomon? Did he ever make his peace with life and God? Well, at the end of the book, in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, here's what he writes in verse 13. When all has been heard, the conclusion of the matter is, fear God and keep His commandments because this is for all humanity. For God will bring every act of, every act of judgment, including every hidden thing, whether good or evil. Solomon goes through all these different pursuits and he ultimately says, I, I finally found the meaning of life. Fearing God, knowing God, knowing that He is my Creator, that I come from Him and belong to Him, and keeping His commandments. This is the whole duty of man. This is what my life is about. That's my purpose. Imagine how much your life could change if you started living life on purpose. Imagine how much your family could change if you as a family quit just trying to make it through the day and you started actually living life on purpose. Imagine how much your marriage could change if you guys started living life on purpose. Imagine how much this community could change 
if we as a church started living life on purpose. Imagine how much our country could change if we as a nation lived life on purpose. And so my prayer for you today is this, that you will live your life on purpose. Would you be so kind as to stand with me, please, as we bow our heads and we come to a time of commitment. If today needs to be the day in your life where you believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, I'd love to talk with you about that, help you with those questions, help you make that decision. I'll be here at the front. You can come see me, and you can leave here today knowing that Christ is your Lord and your Savior. During this time, we call it a time of commitment. We invite you to pray. You can come forward and pray here at the altar. You can pray at your seat. Maybe the Lord leads you to go and pray with somebody. Others will sing with the band. You'll sing the hymn. And so you'll bring up an offering of praise to the Lord through the song. Heavenly Father, we thank you that in you, There is eternity in you. There is forgiveness. There is grace. And we thank you, Lord, that our lives are not an accident. We thank you, Lord, that life is precious from beginning to end. And so we pray, Lord, that we might value life, the lives of others, but also, Lord, our own life. Help us, Father, to realize that the life that you have given us has been given for your glory that we are created for a divine purpose. And so, Lord, in everything, whether easy or difficult, may we live our lives for your glory. Lord, I know that in this room there are a lot of struggles. There's some pain that is brought through the doors today. And I pray that you'll help us to live with that pain and that struggle in a way that honors you. And, Lord, I even pray that you might give us opportunity through the pain to reach out to others, and to bring them to you. Help us, Lord, to find the purpose of life and to live life on purpose. In Jesus' name, amen.